In 2015, the Pew Research Center put out the follow-up to their 2007 religious landscape study. The project surveyed 35,000 Americans to offer a detailed look at the current religious composition of U.S. adults, and the results were actually probably what you would expect. The number of Americans identifying themselves as Christian is declining. More and more adults there are questioning the relevance of organized religion. This is the beginning. Religion will erode from here on out in America. Christians are declining, both as a share of the U.S. population and in total number. There's a continued rise in the share of Americans with no religious affiliation, possibly because the country as a whole is becoming more liberal. And then there's this one more thing, which is the fact that kind of inspired this whole podcast. Millennials are the least religious generation in recent U.S. history. Young adults born between 1981 and 1996 are much less likely than older Americans to pray or attend church regularly or to consider religion an important part of their lives. Only about one half of millennials say that they believe in God with absolute certainty. Just 27% of millennials say they attend religious services on a weekly basis, a substantially lower share than baby boomers, which sit at 38%, and members of the silent and greatest generations, 51% each. And that's why we're here. So we have this Pew study. It gives us a lot of great information about what millennials think, but the role of Pew isn't to tell us why they think it. And what we wanted to do is talk to our friends, other millennials, and talk to people all across the country to kind of break down these numbers and get a real sense of why religion is declining, not only amongst millennials, but in America as a whole. You're listening to Revolves Around Me, a podcast about the intercept of two things that think they're the center of the universe, religion and millennials. I'm Max Barnes. And I'm Brian Benton. On today's episode, stories of millennials who chose to say goodbye to their childhood religion, or at least adjust their perspectives on it. So before we start, I was born to a Filipino mother, and the Philippines, historically, has always been a very Catholic country. She grew up Catholic. She went to a Catholic school from when she was three years old to when she was 24, graduated from undergraduate, uh, before she came to America. And so she has this Catholic history that I think... When she married, my dad kind of got thrown to the wayside just because my dad's an atheist. I do believe there's something out there and that there's something to believe in. And it is, it's nice to have that reassuring thought. But at the same time, I just don't know what that is. Yeah, I mean, I think believing in something but not knowing exactly what it is is what a lot of millennials these days are feeling. And we're also going to talk a bit more about intersectional families and multi-religion families later on in the episode. To quickly tell you a bit about me, I was raised Jewish and went to synagogue growing up and celebrated the major holidays with my family. But I recently had this trio of moments that kind of made me reconsider what it means to be Jewish in America. The first was going to Bulgaria, where there are only 2,000 Jewish people in the whole country. And it really gave me perspective on how small the Jewish population is in the world. The second thing was talking with my grandma who left Nazi Germany during World War II to come to America. And even though I had talked to her a little bit about things, the most recent conversation I had with her after visiting Germany and hearing some more of her experiences was really eye-opening. And the third thing is actually watching the Amazon series Transparent. I think even though I had seen Jewish families on TV before, the way that the Pfeffermans deal with their Judaism is really similar to how my family did growing up. And it was kind of eye-opening to see a family that despite all the differences, in a way, had a lot of similarities with mine as well. For this episode, we talked to three different people. The first was Rizwan, and he 
grew up Muslim, and when he was 19 years old, he told his mom he didn't want to do it anymore. My name is Rizwan. I definitely grew up religious, but I was constantly questioning it as well, which has kind of led me to where I am now. He still doesn't eat pork, but he does eat bacon now, and he doesn't pray three times a day like he did growing up. And most importantly, he says he doesn't necessarily identify as Muslim anymore. But at the same time, he still kind of feels this connection to the cultural side, right? Yeah, definitely. And then the second person we talked to was Calvin. My name's Calvin. I'm 22 years old. I work as a chemical engineer in Silicon Valley, and I am a devout atheist. He told us this crazy story about when he was 16, he decided to be a born-again Christian, which I didn't even know was what was something that could happen. I had no idea like what... What a born-again Christian is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think of all the groups that we talk about, that's one of the most stigmatized ones. Um, and we talk about evangelicals in the context of politics, but I had never really met someone who said, I'm an evangelical Christian. Uh, and then we have Rachel. My name is Rachel Slauson. I am a blogger and an actor. But Rachel grew up Mormon in Seattle, then moved to Utah, which, as most people know, is the Mormon capital of the U.S. Rachel had this big clarification between being Mormon and then being a member of the Church of Latter-day Saints. And she has this blog that she runs. She wrote about this realization in a blog post and said that while she likes the faith itself and the values, she doesn't connect as much because it seems to be more about what you do and what you wear than how you actually follow the teachings. So before we talk about them, I want to get some context from Emma Green. And she's a reporter at The Atlantic who talks about religion and is how she described it. So religion and politics, religion and culture, uh, sometimes religion and business. One thing that really struck me from my conversation with Emma was this reference she made to a famous sociology paper called Bowling Alone by Robert Putnam. I think sociologists have put religion into a bucket largely with other types of communal organizations. The Robert Putnam book Bowling Alone talks about the way that bowling clubs have gone on the decline. People are bowling, but they're not joining bowling clubs. And they often talk about churches and synagogues and mosques and other religious institutions and houses of worship in the same way, that they're communal organizations that people aren't necessarily invested in. She also talked about people who are getting involved in social justice issues or activist groups like Black Lives Matter. She has a great article about the role of Christianity in the Black Lives Matter movement. You know, there's something to be said for, for example, political cohesion and action as something that has taken the place of, or for some can create sort of the meaning that religion has in the past. And that to me has been a really interesting aspect of exploring all of this. That at the same time, while a lot of people are choosing not to go to church or don't really care, or people are sort of doing the same thing that they've always done and will keep doing that. Um, there are other people who are making affirmative choices to go in their own strong direction. So do you feel like it's more of people our age, people that are that classify themselves as millennials, are still sort of religious, it's just they practice it in different methods? Is that kind of what she was saying? Yeah, so she said that we have a less structured approach to religion because people might be growing up in mixed religion households, for example, like you did, or like Rizwan did. His mom is very religious. His grandma on his mom's side is even more religious. But his dad, he said, is an atheist. My dad doesn't practice at all. And in fact, is as far from religious as anyone can be. Well, my mom kind of grew up in a very religious household. And my, my grandmother is, is devout, just re religious to her core. And I kind of, I think she, I never wanted to let her down. 
And in that sense, I never really questioned it or brought it up, even though if I had these questions happening in my head. But a lot of it, to be honest, the reason I kept it up for years was guilt. Guilt to to be the, the grandson my grandmother wanted and to be the son I think my mom wanted a little bit. So the big takeaway from Riz is that grew up Muslim, reached age 19, and kind of had a revelation. So it, it was only uh, later in my life when I, when I turned when I turned 19. I remember uh, going to my mom and having a, a discussion with her and saying, I, I don't want to do this anymore. Like I'm not, I don't want to, I don't want to have to pray with you on big nights or anything because I, it's, I truly do not believe this. And he was holding on to this religious, these religious teachings just because he felt like he had to. I remember talking to him when we were both 19 years old. Rizwan's a friend of mine. He was on the edge of tears. You know, this was a, it was a big deal for him. And that point that Rizwan made about identifying closely with the community. I still want to identify with it because in a sense that community is so tight, it's almost family. And it is one of the components of my identity still. And I don't think that's ever going to go away. Was kind of the exact same thing that Rachel said about growing up Mormon. Rachel really did kind of harp on the fact that she was still religious. This wasn't her turning away from God. And Brian, you and I asked her the question at the end. So where do you feel? How do you feel now? And she said, look, I still feel like I'm a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. But she recounted this story about her going to a wedding. On my way there, I lost my luggage. So I had nothing to wear. I picked out a pretty conservative dress because I knew it was going to be a pretty Mormon crowd and I didn't want to offend anybody. I found a little dress store that had a dress that was not by any terms what I was taught was modest. You know, it's a spaghetti strap dress, cleavage showing. And so I picked this dress out and I bought it and I wore it to my friend's wedding because I'd come a long way to support her. And then somebody comes up to me and makes a comment about how they were really surprised by what I chose to to wear. And here I am thinking, this is my best friend's wedding. And here's somebody who's caring that much about what I wore to do that, you know? Rachel said that she thinks that her religion has become more about what you do every day, not about what you actually think or how you connect with Jesus Christ. I am a Christian and I am still a Mormon, but I also have best friends that are gay and, you know, a lot of my friends are not religious at all and I kind of just can't really comprehend there being a heaven that my best friends who are gay are not religious or do the things that Mormonism kind of says is not okay. I can't really imagine a heaven without those friends there too. I think that a big thing that we kind of pulled out from this is that even though people might say they identify as less religious, if we look at the issues that are important in America today, so abortion rights, gay marriage, intervention in the Middle East, etc., all of that is super tied to religion in some way or another, right? It was choosing between the religion they grew up with or choosing between their everyday social life and their everyday activities and they ended up choosing their day-to-day activities because they felt like that's more pertinent to how they're going to live their life than a higher power that some of them may or may not even believe in. That's something Rachel, Riz, and finally Calvin, who we're going to talk a bit more about now, all kind of expressed. I was so I was so conscious about even the smallest things like swearing or like the image I want to present. All of my friends in high school were atheists, actually. They cared about school a lot and... Uh, they sort of looked at me with a question mark, you know, Calvin, what are you doing with the church? You know, what are you doing Friday nights instead of hanging out with us? He really felt that he was limiting how he lived his life and how fulfilled he was for the sake of religion. And he came to this realization that maybe he was wasting his time. He talked about this one experience that he had uh, at the Friday youth group meetings where he was asked by his youth pastor, what is the purpose of your life? 
and all these kind of 17-year-old, 18-year-old kids are thinking, I don't know, I'm 17 or 18 years old. Uh, I'm going to go to college, hopefully, and things are going to work out. And so no one really gave him a concise answer. And then he turned around, the youth pastor, and said, your purpose of life is to serve God. And I think that for Calvin was like, whoa, this is, this is more than I bargained for. By the end of high school, I was done with it. I had cursed the Holy Ghost, which is the one unforgivable sin in the Bible. I, I had gone through every single range of, of anger, of sadness, of why is there, you know, for everything you pray for, maybe you get half of it and then you can't help but wonder whether or not it was really your prayers that worked or your own hard work. Do you remember the story that Calvin told us about the Jehovah's Witness who came to his door and Calvin having history with religion chose to talk to this man. He said he was in his 60s and he asked this guy if he ever felt like he was wasting his time. I said something I probably should not have said to him. I He tried to convert me and I was very grateful that he actually took the time out to meet me in person. So I, I understand that pain too. You know, I, I did mission trips. I did went to door to door. It's tough. And so I, I asked him, you know, what if you're wrong? What if you wasted all these hours? You know, wouldn't you want a few more hours with your kids? Wouldn't you want a few more hours with your grandkids? Wouldn't you want a few more hours with your wife. And when you're on your deathbed, you're going to wish you added up all those hours. You know, so how we choose to spend our time is super important. In the end, that's what Calvin had the realization too, is that it was all just a waste of time. And I think you can relate that to Riz too, where Riz, he was going to soccer practice um, on days where he was practicing Ramadan. So he was fasting and kids were saying, why aren't you eating the post-game snacks? You know, or why aren't you having the juice boxes. And I think Riz just got sick and tired of justifying things that he himself didn't even believe in. The main times I would really notice this would be during Ramzan or Ramadan. And uh, I remember that it was it often created a lot of friction because because I would have to go to soccer practice still. I would have to, you know, sit with other kids as they ate lunch at school and stuff like that. And so not only would I have to explain to them why I wasn't eating, but I was kind of in a sense of explaining it to myself because growing up in a multicultural city, away from kind of the community, the religious community that oftentimes allows religious beliefs to foster in people, makes you question your beliefs constantly. Yeah, so one good example from my own childhood is during Passover, when you're not supposed to eat leavened bread. And because of that, a big part of diets for Jewish people during Passover becomes eating a lot of meat and dairy and other products like that. But my family is all vegetarian. And Passover was one time when we said, you know, we're going to remember the importance of this holiday, but we don't eat meat, so it becomes super hard to do Passover the way that we should. And I guess something that a lot of young people are coming to terms with is the fact that religion doesn't necessarily have to be as strict of a set of guidelines as we maybe were taught it could be. There's a reason that I kind of resonate with Mormonism. There's certain things about it that I love so much, but... I have gone out of my way to study other beliefs and to find truth everywhere. To close your mind off to that and to say that everything you've taught is the, been taught is the only right way, and that's the only truth, I think you're kind of cutting yourself off from truth and light and beauty and goodness that's being taught all over the world. At the end of each interview, we asked each person a set of questions about some big moral issues that losing your religion or changing your religion might raise. Are there, is there anything you've held on to? In terms of not even just religiously speaking, but maybe values you were taught or just ways that you carry yourself throughout your life? Uh, well, um, there, there, there are the, uh, what is it called? The, uh, the fruits of the, uh, the fruits of the Holy Spirit or something like that. Um, 
I know patience is one of them. Just a lot of these, like, these general, these commonly held uh, virtues. So if I ever find myself in a, a life-threatening slash scary uh, spot, I'll find myself muttering to myself, Bismillahirrahmanirrahim, like stuff, really religious things like that. What was the hardest part of no longer being devoutly religious? I will admit it is the hardest thing to be a faithful Christian to mean everything that, well, that I was taught to abide by it while you're raging, while you're at the peak of virility, <laughs> while, while you're just raging with testosterone and there are girls and there are grades and there are just, there, there are so many things that you have to consider. Since we're in our 20s, I guess we kind of have to think about this. Um, eventually, do you want to be with someone or marry someone who is religious or not religious? I'm not going to impose any form of religious belief on my kids from my side. And I don't think I would want to marry someone who's very religious, to be honest, because it just kind of deviates so far from what I have come to believe now. I would seek out someone who doesn't share those those philosophies. In fact, my, my girlfriend at the time, she's, she used to be a Christian, and I was able to pull over to the dark side. So um, I'm very proud of that. Very proud of that. <laughs> as much as we don't like to admit it, you know, religion is an important part about picking or at least, you know, religion or the lack thereof, that spiritual connection is important, whatever that may be. I really do want to be with someone that has an understanding of God and of Christ. Rachel went on to say that that person doesn't necessarily have to be Mormon, though. And then we asked this simple question. Where, where are you now? Where are you at? And where do you stand on religion? Riz said no. Calvin said most definitely no. And Rachel gave us this answer. Ah, that's hard. It shouldn't be that hard, but it kind of is. I feel like maybe I'm kind of in this hybrid zone where I still have an abandoned religion because I think that there is so much good that comes out of it, but I've also accepted that there is good that can be found outside of religion too. So Max, if I said that question that I asked at the beginning again, which is based on this Pew study that says millennials are less religious, do you think we really got to that why in this episode? We've gotten closer to that why, but I think in the end, we're still digging. Millennials aren't exactly walking away from religion so much as just figuring out different ways to practice it. Religion is a belief like any other belief in the sense that we sometimes look at people and say, how could they have such bigoted views on the world or etc., whatever the view is. But any view that's, that's really ingrained requires um, immersion uh, and community. So I think that's why a lot of millennials in the States are having identity issues with religion because they're surrounded by so many other religious beliefs, so many other people, atheists, etc., that you don't have that same form of immersion that you did perhaps before the modernization era, before the internet, before all this exposure. I think millennials have kind of come to a place of conflict that we're all kind of questioning a lot of things because our parents' generation, I think it had kind of a, a pretty clear direction. You know, wh whatever faith your parents were, it was pretty black and white, no matter you, whether you grew up Mormon or Buddhist or, you know, I think in that questioning and in that doubt, that's kind of where this rise of spirituality and mindfulness is coming from, because we are still longing to feel that connectedness to, to what we were called, like told was God or higher power. But we don't know how to do that in the construct of what our parents taught us. I, I believe that millennials are able to uh, understand morality and religion as mutually exclusive uh, concepts. And not to mention, it, the Bible doesn't address everything. You know, if the Bible is 100% God-breathed, as many people say, there are plenty of things that are left unaddressed. And so if, if this is an argument, if what I'm getting at is an argument that the Bible is not written for today's day and age, then I guess... 
it, it's not compatible with the 21st century. I think the one thing that we can see is that individual freedom with, re- with regards to religion is more important now than it's ever been. And I think millennials are also known as the generation that pushes the boundary, you know, pushes the limit on certain aspects of life. And I think we're doing it with religion too. Yeah, Max, I definitely agree. I think it all comes down to this idea Emma mentioned at the beginning of the episode about how religion is changing more than disappearing. And I actually ended my conversation with her the same way by asking this question. How do we best understand the changing intersection of religion and millennials? There's so much diversity in the way that people practice um, and believe their religious traditions in the United States in particular, but everywhere around the world, obviously. Um, and, and that diversity is, is what's so fascinating, that people make all sorts of different kinds of choices, that even as there are trends, there are very strong counter trends. There are data points that mix and scramble all of the generalizations that we can make about how belief is trending in the United States. Um, and I, I love that. I love the, the data points that mess up our clean narratives about what people's religious lives are like. We hope that this episode laid the groundwork for you on what millennials are thinking about when we consider the role of religion. In the next episodes of Revolves Around Me, we're going to look at the specific ways religion might be as important in the lives of millennials as ever. And we're also going to share some more short conversations with people who have interesting religion stories. We hope you'll join us. I'm Max Barnes. And I'm Brian Benton. You can find more about this podcast at revolvesaround.me. That's revolvesaround.me. We also hope this got you thinking about your own religion story. So please reach out on Facebook or Twitter or send us an email at revolvespodcast at gmail.com. Revolves Around Me is available on iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. If you haven't already, please subscribe and leave us a review. This podcast is produced and edited by me, Brian Benton, in Brooklyn, New York, and by Max Barnes in San Francisco, California. Special thanks to Emma Green, Becca Alper of the Pew Research Center, and of course, Calvin, Rizwan, and Rachel. We'll have a link to Rachel's blog post about being a Mormon, as well as links to some of Emma's writing, and a link to the full Pew Religious Landscape study on our website. And finally, Max and I want to give a special shout out to our parents, who raised us to be curious about and question our own religions, and more importantly, might be the only listeners who got this far into the credits.